Any education apart from Jesus Christ is for us miseducation. And it produces not education nor an educated man, but a new race of barbarians who are today busily destroying their civilization. Humanistic education is the institutionalized love of death. Christian education, because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, is the love of life. This is the Love of Life podcast, conversations with Jesse and Courtney. Here we are, another episode of the Love of Life podcast, and thank you for tuning in. You're wearing my shirt, Courtney. Same color, yeah. Same color. It happens. What are you What are you doing copying me? <laughs> I know, it's a good color. Oh my it's goodness. Green. Okay, well, we didn't plan this for those who are watching. If you're listening, we have pretty much the exact same shirt on right now, <laughs> basically. Courtney decided to uh, steal my color tonight, so... There you go. It is Valentine's night. Uh, we had dinner at our house with our children. We're recording an episode. And that's about as romantic as we're going to get tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Good times, though. Good times. Some days are ordinary. Even holiday days. It's good. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. So it's Valentine's night, and uh, we have what do you what do you have? You have some scriptures, a scripture I or do. something you want to highlight? Yeah, I have a couple. Um, okay. So I was reading Esther, the book of Esther, recently, and um, there's the whole lead up to um, they're going to kill the Jews. Like that's the thing that this bad guy I can't remember his name, but. He wants to do, and he kind of tricks the king into signing this thing that says that they can kill all the Jews. Um, and then kind of at the same time, what's happening is Mordecai is Esther's uncle, and he's preparing her to go in and replace the queen, because the queen is, like, full of herself and very vain. And at one point, uh, the king summons her, and she's like, mm, no. So his counsel's like, you need to get rid of her. So he does. And so then he's looking for a replacement. So Mordecai says, you need to go. She's very beautiful. So anyway, the king does choose her to be the queen. So she's in position, and then they want to kill all the Jewish people. And the guy that's kind of in the king's ear hates Mordecai. Like, he bothers him. Okay. Um, So you get all that. And then this decree goes out to kill the Jewish people, and Mordecai goes to Esther, and he lets her see this decree. And, okay, so the super famous part of that story is yes. what? The super famous part of... What's, like, the main quote? Uh, the, um, I chosen for such... I was born for such a time... You were born yes. for such a time as this. Yes, okay. Okay. So, you know that one. But right before that, what Mordecai says to her... Yes. I do not remember, and it's, like, amazing. Okay. So. What does Mordecai say? Okay. So, he says... here He gives Esther, here's the decree... Um, and then he says, you need to go to the king and talk to him, plead for our people. 
I wrote down where it's at. Okay. Um, and she's like, okay, but this is how it works. If I go in there and I haven't been summoned and I haven't been summoned in over a month and he does not extend the royal scepter to me, like, I will die. That's it. Okay. So she wants to make sure that Mordecai knows that. And okay. then he says to her, uh, well, he says to messengers, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Uh, so just like his rebuke before that, like, don't think you're safe. Like, you're worried about your own life, but you won't escape. Mm -hmm. If this decree goes through... You're Jewish. Like, it's going to touch you, and then you haven't been courageous, and you haven't stood up. Like, don't think judgment won't be upon you. Mm -hmm. You're in that role for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, so usually it's just, hey, you were born for such a time as this. Right. Like, that's the part of the right. story. But before that, he's very much like, check yourself. You're right. not there by random chance. And what are you there for? Mm -hmm. Like, the Lord put you there, so you better do what's right before him. Yeah. Um, or... There will be relief, but it won't be from you, and your line will be done. Yeah. So, like, he puts her in her place. Right. And then says the thing about the time. So, yeah. I just thought, oh, wow. Like. So, let me ask you this. Old Testament, New Testament, we don't take stories and say, okay, well, how is this applied to every jot and every tittle in my life? Right? Sure. So, we don't, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't be like, who's... Who am I in this story or anything? You know, right. that gets kind of wonky and crazy. Sure. And we need to stop doing that as people for the most part. It doesn't you know. always work. Yeah. It, do it doesn't always work. There are applications. So is there, in what you derive, do you see a modern day application? Yes. To I, some extent. I do. Okay. I do. What do you see? Well, I think anywhere that we are, any workplace, any family, any setting that we are in especially i guess in the public sphere and right now in our culture that is so godless that is turned so far from him like our our role is we're there because the lord has put us there and our role is to stand up for the lord and so i mean there are times and places where we might be asked to go along with something um that is an affront to god and his laws and his decrees and we can be silent yeah. And think, well, maybe it won't go to us. Um, but really, we have to stand up for God's truth. And how do we not know that the very position that we're in is by his sovereign hand? It absolutely is. So right. maybe it is for us to resist whatever it is or to speak truth. And we trust the Lord with it. If yeah. that means we are fired or negative consequences come or we, you know, People shun us or whatever could happen because sure. there are repercussions um, to saying, no, God hates that and I can't do that or no, you know, whatever resistance looks like or disagreeing or speaking up. Mm -hmm. It's intimidating. Um, nobody wants to put their neck out there. But I think as our culture becomes more and more godless, like the opportunity to stand firm and to disagree when it's not popular um, and to bring God's word, it becomes really, really important. No. 
Um, and like Esther, yeah. we don't, we're not the hero, so to speak, in every story. And we can look at our lives and say, well, maybe we have been chosen for such a time as this. And maybe in our own spheres, the Lord has, he has chosen his, his own to do certain things, to be influences in their own families, in their own workplaces, etc. But the Lord, if we fail to do what we're called to do, mm-hmm. the Lord could still use, he can still use other people. He can, right. he can overlook us, sort of that warning right, that Mordecai yeah. gave. His plans are going to prevail. You can His, be a part of it right. or not. Um, yeah, I also think, yeah, it's not like you're looking to be, oh, I want to be Queen Esther in right. my life and in right. this. Like, I don't think it's that. I think it's, we have an opportunity to be faithful. Yeah. And God's faithful, even if we are not, he's still faithful to his promises and his word, but we have the opportunity to be faithful. And so we should be asking the Lord to help us to be courageous and to be faithful. And I think too, you know, it's, it starts with small things. We're given lots and lots of small tests to sharpen our faith and to do the thing that's harder, but that's right. And if we don't miss those small tests, then we're more and more ready for the harder things. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, it's easy in a small thing to go, well, it doesn't really matter. This is small. Nobody sees this, but it matters so much in what it does, even internally for you. If you're faithful with a tiny thing or you go, okay, it's, this is going to be unpopular, but I'm standing firm on this. Then the next thing, it's that much easier. And as the stakes get higher, if you've been all along being faithful and resisting or disagreeing or doing the thing that is faithful to God's word, then as the stakes get higher, your courage has grown and you're able to do that. Whereas if you think, well, this is small and it doesn't matter. Well, then like the next challenge is going to be like four steps up and you're not going to leap at that point. Like you're setting the pattern for what you're going to do with the small thing, with the first thing, with the initial. So yeah. 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 Those are things we definitely have seen in the last two years as people don't resist certain things that should be resisted. Mm-hmm. We see people that, oh, well, if they're not going to resist now, they're probably not going to resist in the future. Yeah. When the, th- when the stakes get higher. We can when... deceive ourselves, though, to think that. Well, yeah. it doesn't matter really now and in this. Later, though, when it really matters, you know, then I'll, then I'll, yeah, I'll make yeah. my stand. Yeah. But you're you're not. You're you're really reinforcing If they directly ask me to deny my Lord and Savior Jesus, then I'll say something. Yeah. Like it's not probably it, it might not it probably won't come to that mm-hmm. for most of us. That's not how that's not, not how needed resistance is going to look and appear mm-hmm. all the time. There might come that in different places of the world and such. That that might be a an actual thing. But yeah, if you're not going to resist up front, if you're going to be, you know, spineless, you're not going to stand as yeah. the stakes increase at all. You're in fact, if anything, I think what we've seen is a lot of a lot of Christians are not a lot, I don't know the exact percentages per, per se, but it seems that a, a a vast amount of people that have gone with the tide and said, "Okay, fine." They're continuing just to go with the tide. And then how far will they go? How much will the world um, say, well, you need to do this, or you need to believe this. Mm -hmm. You need to see our agenda with 
LGBTQ. You need mm-hmm. to see the way that we look on these issues. And as we've seen, at least in the American church here in the West, a lot of denominations and a lot of so-called believers, the Lord knows those who are his, a lot of believers have just capitulated and there is little to no resistance, you know? Yeah. Which I mean, what people, I think a lot of those agendas that we're seeing is what you read tonight in devotions about, that was an acts about God giving them up. Like that's when, when our hearts are hard, when we turn from the Lord, his judgment is he gives us up. We see it in Romans one. You just read it in Acts. Acts chapter seven. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. What? Tell me again. The people of Israel in Acts chapter seven. Stephen's giving an account to the chief priests, to scribes, um, and he's basically saying, "Here's what the Lord did from the beginning, until the time of Moses, until the time of David, and then the time of Christ." When he gets to the time of Moses, he says that the Israelites in the wilderness, they started to worship Moloch and other gods. And so the language that is used in Acts chapter 7, which we caught for the first time, I think, in our reading tonight, Mm -hmm. was God gave them up to the host of heaven, to worship the host of heaven. He he basically said, okay, fine, you want to worship something that's not me? You want to worship a created thing or whatever? Go ahead. I'm giving you up. And it's very much that Romans 1 language of God giving them over to passions and, um, and sin to where they fall in rebellion. And there's really like a, I don't want to say a point of no turning back, but we see that in Romans 1 where there is a sense where God is finally giving up those that willfully reject him over and over and over again. Yeah, and I think part of that could be so that they go, this is what my life is, and they turn to him like Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he's brought to the lowest of lows to where then he's like, oh, like out of his mind, crazy, and he repents. And there are sometimes, like in what I've, I can't even tell you where, but where I've been reading in the Bible that, you know, there a hard thing will come so that people will turn and see their need for the Lord. Um, but even like that whole giving up, like then people hunger for God. They hunger for his word after all that lawlessness. So I think it just makes the importance of us that know the truth that when we see that God has given so much of our culture up um, in judgment that we need to bring the words of life. We need to bring the words of of Christ and repentance and not to just be silent and be like, well, Somebody else will do it, which I'm speaking to myself even because it's intimidating yeah. and it's hard and we must rely on the Lord to lead us and guide us. And there's tact and there's all those things. But, right, right. Um, like when that test comes or when that opportunity comes, it's like, okay, Lord, prepare us. Make us a people that are ready, that it's so natural to us and that we know we're in this position, like then we need to do what's right. What's right before him? We'll stand before him and give an account. So I guess just keeping that in mind. Yeah, definitely. Was there another scripture that you wanted to highlight? Um, This is just kind of silly, but this is also from Esther. Okay. Is it silly? What's silly about it? it's not like a great point. It's just (laughs) this. I liked this. Okay, good. Okay. Good. Um, It's Esther 2.18. You'll see what I mean when I read it. Okay. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. 
It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. There was once a king who granted remission of taxes. <laughs> I mean, when I read that, I was okay. like, really? That's amazing. I had to take note. Like, I didn't know that that was ever a thing. That's not silly. That's pretty wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So, not silly, but if, just... It, if only our leaders would take note. <laughs> right? That you should grant a remission of taxes. It would be wonderful for your people. What a way to celebrate. Uh, I dig it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> that's nice. Is that all you wanted to highlight from Esther? Yeah, that's all from Esther. Okay. So, so this is uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. So, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to teaching. Despise not the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the company of the eldership. These things exercise, and give yourself unto them, that it may be seen how you profit among all men. Take heed unto yourself, and unto learning. Continue in it, for in doing this you shall save both yourself and those who hear you. So I thought it was interesting that, namely, in this particular reading, I caught this, was that Paul is telling Timothy to continue learning, to continue growing, to continue your education. Don't stop. Don't be stagnant. Don't, um, you don't just arrive and that's all you need to know in life. You know, we're, we're reaching what middle-aged, right? 35. We're, 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 we're we're getting there. We're, you know, we're getting older. We have children. We have sort of a, a set pace in life to some extent. It would be, well, not for me and probably not for you either, (laughs) but it, it would be easy in general at times in life to stop reading. You know, we live in such a weird technological day and age where so many of us are reading far less than what we should, what we used to. Um, but Paul is exhorting Timothy here, read, <laughs> grow, grow in your knowledge. Don't stop. Don't cease to continue your education, to continue learning, um, and it's a it's it's a part of your growth and your maturity, hmm. and we continue that. And I think in another instance, if I'm I'm just from rehashing from memory, Paul reminds those that he's writing, "Hey, remember my books." Like he wants certain books. Oh, that's you, right. You, you, You're you right. Yeah, this? he's like, "Don't he, they are coming to see him?" They're coming to see him. And he he says, says, "Don't forget the parchments. Don't forget the books. Don't yeah. forget the books." Yeah, which is so scholarly and so you know one of our. Former pastors, David. It so makes me think of him. Like, don't forget my books. I want my books. Don't forget those. I want to see you too, but mainly the books. Yeah, I want to see. I want to see those books when you come. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So in my reading of First Timothy, I had never, and maybe it's the translation. Perhaps this is the modernized Geneva Bible. Um, maybe that's where I kind of. Maybe it's lost in a different translation that I've read ESV, or I haven't checked the other translations but in this particular reading i thought oh what what an apt way of putting it what yeah. what a way for timothy because i've known for years that paul write paul is writing to timothy who's probably a younger person and he's exhorting him as a younger believer to grow to mature but specifically in that growth and maturity it's to continue reading yeah. it's to continue his learning and to continue his education well and timothy he's the one that has a mother and a grandmother, Lois. Mm-hmm. Lois and, and Eunice. Yeah. yeah. 
So he's been raised in the faith. So even if he's yes. young, yeah. he has had a lot of training. He does have a lot of knowledge. So to be like, don't just rest on what you've been taught. Continue. That's really cool. Yeah. I want to talk to somebody who, well, I don't know. I don't know if there is somebody, but like, I mean. There's got to be somebody. Somebody who's <laughs> way more familiar with the Bible yeah. than myself. Like, do they still find things that they're like, oh my gosh, never saw that before. Oh my, like, I feel like they must, but I just am amazed at how often even passages that we're so familiar with, it's like, it just hits you in a different way or like. You know, did you remember that or did you even know? Did you take note the last time you read Esther that that remission of taxes? That's the first time I've ever noticed that. And part of it may be, I mean, obviously because God's word is alive and sharper than a double-edged sword, but also what you're doing in life that things stand out to you different in different seasons. Um, But God's word is just so packed. Like, I just think it happens to me so much that I'm like, have I ever? Ever even have I ever read even it? read the like, Bible? Right. Yeah, just even with things I know, I've read a lot. Yeah. So, is that like how common? I guess is that I memorized. Uh, you you know this at one time I had the book of First Corinthians memorized when I was a young teenager because I was in Bible quizzing. Mm. Of course, it was the NIV translation, so it doesn't count. <laughs> it no, it's, that's that, that's a joke. Um, I don't know who will get that. <laughs> who is that joke? I'm for? sure somebody will get that. Absolutely, the NIV. Come on. Is that for the KJV only? Yeah, that's for people. Yes, <laughs> KJV only, and okay. also those that look at the NIV and be like, mm, no, that's not a great translation. So if you didn't get it, okay, fine, whatever. But anyway, <laughs> I memorized the Book of First Corinthians when I was 13, 12, 14 years old. Yet, in all of my reading since. There are so many things that pop up that I'm like, I memorized this and I don't remember, I, I don't remember, like it didn't, it was in my head and I can, I can spell out the verse and I can see where it is on the page even, you know, mm-hmm. to this day. But there's certain elements to the verse because of what you said, the word of God is alive and it's active. So it's not just some dead word that we just, you know, have stored up in our heads only. Now it could be a word store, stored up in our heads <laughs> and that's a problem with our hearts. Yeah. Yet... As we seek the Lord and we're led by his spirit in the reading of the word, that word is alive in the sense. So we are seeing new things, you know, and I I think, too, there's something to be said for growth in life. You know, when I was a teenager, when I was a younger person, not married, didn't have children, there are certain things in the scriptures that I may have heard. But now that I'm living out as a, say, a parent, you know, there's that element of oh, now I see this in a different contextual way because of my eyes of being, you know, mm-hmm. an older adult Although, as opposed to a child. being an older adult and a parent has made you think that Paul got it wrong <laughs> in a certain place. Yeah. Well, Paul says, <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Paul says, fathers don't exasperate your children. And my longstanding understanding of this is that Paul had to have been wrong. Because I'm not one to exasperate my children, but my children definitely can exasperate me. <laughs> so I think Paul inverted some something here. I think there's something <laughs> off with Paul. Plus, Paul wasn't married and didn't have kids. So that that's always what I hearken back to, is that he, he didn't know. <laughs> he didn't know what it was like to have four children. Yeah. No. I just, uh, I I'm just, sure Paul I just served up your joke for I'm you. I'm sure Paul sure. didn't get it wrong, but... Exasperation goes both ways. <laughs> it definitely does. It definitely does. Oh, yes. yeah. And yeah, I mean, you know, I, 
Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but there what you were saying in all seriousness about, yeah, just being more mature, experiencing more things, I think you understand things in, in different ways. Yeah. That just comes with growth and maturity and life experience. But it's also, I guess I'm struck by the verses that are ones I'm so familiar with. If it's one that I'm not as familiar with, okay. But yeah, it's just a testament to how amazing God is and the way that his word works. And there's always a reason to keep reading it yeah. for your whole life. Even if you're like, oh yeah, I know that book of the Bible. I'm familiar with that. Like read it again. You will find something. You're like, <laughs> I never saw that before. Yeah. Like, or that stands out to you or that just, you know, really makes you think. Yeah. Yeah, so, something can leap across the page because there's certain things the Lord can do in different seasons of our life that as we read his word and as we meditate on it, he can show us, you know, in your, in his light, we see light. Mm-hmm. And because the word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, some, you know, as we journey on through life, our path will look different at different seasons of life. So certain things will stand out and go, oh, like, like what we saw uh John the Baptist. You, oh yeah, do you remember that I, I, I from the that. other day? That was yeah. that was quite remarkable. That yeah. you pointed, you said, "Hey, look at this verse. This this is something that I don't think I've ever read before, and yet it's at a verse that's so familiar regarding John the Baptist ministry. And it's the it ends with he must increase, but I must decrease. Yeah. But the verse is sure. So it's the book of John, and it's chapter three, um, and it's verse. 26, I think, but I will read right around it. Um, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. This is the verse, 27. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So then he goes on to say, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. But yeah, just that whole, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. There is a specific context that he's saying that in but it also is generally true a person yeah. cannot even receive one thing unless it's given to him from heaven yeah like yeah when i read that i'm like whoa <laughs> everything that we receive you know is is from heaven is from the lord and it kind of goes back to what was preached on sunday in a roundabout way about giving thanks mm. in all circumstances like the good and the bad um because God knows what he's doing and there's good for us, even in the things that we deem bad, they're given to us from heaven. Um, which was also interesting because as we were both hearing it, we were both thinking, internalizing some of the same things. Right. Like as we were listening, like there was, yeah, just, you, well, you, I don't know how you want you to You brought it, it up. I brought it up. There were some things that I think we were both like kind of struggling with internally during the sermon, some distracting elements. And so when he's saying that, instead of being like annoyed mentally about some of these things that were distracting, like, you know, you're going, I'm trying to listen to the word and this is really distracting. My goodness. 
then, you know, when he said that, give thanks in all circumstances, immediately my heart went, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this distraction because it's helping me pay really close attention. It's causing me to have to. And thank you because this distraction, you know, means this or means that or for showing me my own heart that, you know, here I can be sitting in church and being like irritated. Well, that's not even right. Like, so just that further refining process that could be, I'm just, you know, going, ah, this is distracting. But really, it's even a thing that's from heaven and that I need to be thankful for and see God's work and his hand in and his goodness to me in, even in that moment. And when we talked after and you were having like the same experience (laughs) of repentance and asking, you know, and thankfulness at the same time of being distracted, I was like, oh, yeah, that really like hit home. That was, yeah. Yeah. I think too, what we've also discussed before is practicing thankfulness, Mm. which we do around the kitchen table at some point in during dinner, Mm -hmm. we will say, okay, what are three things you're thankful for today? And then each kid and then us Mm -hmm. will go around and state three things. And sometimes the kids will do more Mm -hmm. of the three things that happen. You know, grandma came over today, mom's meal and uh, chickens chickens (laughs) or something. Sometimes they do alliteration too. Like they try to make them all start with the same letter. Yeah. Just cute. Yeah. But, but, but but all that to say the practicing of thankfulness on a daily basis to verbalize, to be thankful, say, I'm actually thankful for X, Y, Z, this, this, and this. It really has, even if I've come to the table and, you know, even if it's kind of been a wonky day, kind of crazy, busy, stressful, even if we've had some of those days, which we do on occasion, it's still like, oh yeah, I'm thankful. What am I thankful for? <laughs> and then, and then all of a sudden, it's in there. There's a mode of thankfulness that changes the atmosphere of a room, or even just your own heart. Yeah. When you go, I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for the hot meal that I've been given. I'm thankful for the daily bread yeah. that I had today. It it really changes our understanding of these are gifts to us, mm-hmm. whatever they were in every day. Has, has its measure of gifts that we are receiving. Oh, we're so abundantly blessed. I mean, just everyone in our country is so abundantly blessed with God's general goodness. It's so easy to take it for granted. I think when we do the thankful things, we, by counting, naming think, things we're thankful for, it just makes you take stock of them. It, does, it makes you not just be entitled to your hot shower, but to be thankful for it. Wow, like I'm really thankful for it, which kind of goes back to reading early pioneers where they don't even have running water. Like what an amazing thing that is, but to be grateful for so much. I mean, really we could spend the whole evening talking about things we're thankful for because there's so many, but I think when you specifically make it a habit, like you said, to be thankful, it makes you more thankful and it really does have an effect on you to be like, Oh yeah, these aren't just random great things. Like these are great things and they're from the Lord. It's kind of like what I read in that book, um, which I have not finished and I need to. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Mm, He makes the point that like grasshoppers, they live on the dew. People don't even know what grasshoppers eat. They just like bounce from blade of grass to blade of grass and it's like they live on the dew. Um, And so it is with people that are contented in God that people don't even know where their contentment comes from or where they're getting this secret nourishment of contentment. They just have it. Um, And he makes the point that when a person knows that everything that they receive is a gift from God, like 
even if it's not a lot, even if what they have in life is small, um, that's where the joy comes and people can't understand it. People that have far more might not be as content, but, and so they don't know, like, why is this person that doesn't even have much, like, why are they content? But, um, and one illustration he gives is to say, like, if you were to get, you know, 40 meals just because you went to the market and came home, like, okay, that's nice. That's wonderful. But if the king of your land sends you a special meal and you know that that meal laid out before you is from the king, it's a gift from the king himself, like that makes such a difference mm-hmm. what that meal is. So when we see that everything that we're given is a gift, a personal gift from the king of the universe, like that should do something to us. That should make us contented. That should make us thankful and um, even cause us to trust the Lord even more. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the Lord gave me this today. And it might be something as simple as a hot shower or the family that's around the table with you or sometimes the sunshine, you know, like that's something that we're thankful for. Just, wow, what a beautiful day that was that the sun was out. Um, But seeing it all as from God, so personal Mm -hmm. because he is such a personal God and it is from him. No gift can come from you except from (laughs) heaven. No thing can come from you. No. um, Except it be from heaven. No. That's good. Any other closing thought? Um, no, I don't think so. I have other topics that are random. Random topics? Not random topics, but I the one thing I did think about that I jotted down was the whole Saul Saul thing that was brought up in Sunday oh, school. Oh, yeah. Because it's amazing. Saul Saul and the parallels between King Saul in the Old Testament and Saul in the New Testament. Paul Saul, yeah. Yeah, Paul Saul. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Saul Paul. Yeah. Do you remember him? The parallel? The parallel. Yeah, there's a few different... The why why are you persecuting me and Saul persecuted David and then it was inverted from Christ saying, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Son of David. Why are you persecuting son of David? Yeah. 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 Well, somebody asked in Sunday school because we're learning about Saul. We're probably confusing people. We are point. confusing people. I'm so sorry. So to <laughs> give you... Back up a little. Just you're, if get you're, a little yeah, context. So if you're going to explain this one, explain it because people are... If, yeah. If you weren't there. You weren't there, you wouldn't know. Sorry. Yeah. So, I totally so, did. So let's give some context thing. real quick. So we're learning about King Saul and how he starts so well. Um, like his early rise to ministry, he's faithful. He's, you see him do the right thing over and over and over again. He's from this small tribe. He does things God's way. There's this definite call. There's an, even an ascent up the mountain when um, he's chosen to be king. From for all practical purposes, as the people around, you would go, yes, like a good king has Samuel has chosen a good king for us. This is a godly king. He's tall. He's even his outward um, physical appearance that he's a shoulder taller than every man, and that he's handsome. Those are even like signs or symbols that he's got God's favor. Like he's. A good man. So you wouldn't know from the beginning of the story if you're reading it like for the first time that he ends up having this tragic fall because he starts off well and he really does start off well. And you like the point has been from our pastor, one of our pastors, not to read into the story what isn't there to go, oh, well, he ends bad. So he must have always been bad. Well, no, like he really starts off well. Um, so then at some point when we're talking about him, somebody raises their hand in Sunday school and says, are we supposed to be thinking when we're learning about Saul, are we supposed to think of Saul in the New Testament? Like, is there supposed to be, like, in your mind? And he's like, yes, yes, definitely. So then people are pushing 
that idea. Like you are, there is a, a, a mode of parallel that you're supposed to be thinking of one and the other, um, which obviously they couldn't have thought that in the Old Testament because they didn't know about him yet. But one of the things being that King Saul ends up persecuting David and like that's like, you know, a relentless thing that he persecutes him. And then later in New Testament, Saul becomes Paul in his road to Damascus experience with Christ. Christ says, why are you persecuting me? So that Saul is persecuting the son of David when the former Saul was persecuting David. So just, and then he ends badly. And we know that Saul, that Saul is like what the first Saul should have been. He's um, flipped by the gospel. He's totally changed. And so much so that he's given a new name. And that's, even they said that was kind of a judgment on Saul. Mm. That his name would be changed. Like, no longer are you associated with Saul. You're Paul. So. Wow. Anyway. And it all goes back to Lord of the Rings. Because, what? <laughs> because, because Gandalf says, uh, when he rises from the dead, he says, I am Saruman. Rather, mm. I am Saruman as he should have been. Ah, so he's so it's all as he should have been. Yeah, but I guess the Bible trumps Lord of the Rings. So, yeah, totally. You know. I mean, Lord of the Rings probably, Tolkien probably <laughs> got that really from the Bible. Yeah. Even if I just want to throw it. out that zinger. Yeah, that was good. I feel like there was another parallel that was pointed out, but I can't remember. That was the is. that was the that was a really interesting one. That was in, really cool. in in class and yeah, as we talked about that on the way home. That was yeah. Like, yeah, what? I've never thought about that. Intriguing. Yeah, they do have the same name, but I just didn't put together that there was anything where, you There's know. There's no parallels there. Yeah. I wouldn't think about that. They just and have yet, the same name. And yet, yeah. Yeah. All right, so any other uh, rabbit no, trail you I want to take us down? Okay, How good. You? No. Nope, that's okay. it. That's it. So thank you very much for tuning in, and we will see you again shortly. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast conversations with jesse and courtney it is our duty through our schools to create a new one a god-centered one we are told in proverbs 8 verses 35 and 36 for whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the lord But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.